As followers of Jesus in the midst of another polarizing election season, we don't have the choice to walk away from our responsibility to change broken policies that are breaking our neighbors or to end relationships with our family and friends who might think differently than we do. That's why this season of the Everyday Peacemaking Podcast is exploring how we are to engage politics as citizens of the kingdom of God and the United States. It's going to be hard and messy, but it's holy work, and we're here for it all. Thanks for joining us for Peace in Politics, becoming everyday peacemakers in and outside of the voting booth. Hey, John, how are you? Hello! I'm doing... I'm doing fine. I'm probably doing a little better than you today, huh? Oh my gosh. I have been sick for the past three days. Like literally spent two days in bed. I like I took a nap, then got up to be here with you to talk to Dominic. Resurrection in time for the podcast has happened. I don't know if it's resurrection or if I'm just (laughs) death warmed over right now, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thanks for being with us. Of course. Oh my, I'm, I'm so excited for our audience to hear this conversation with yeah. Dominique. Like I think for me as somebody who is who will who could who identifies as deconstructed, sometimes scripture becomes not like a back burner to me, but I don't I don't have scripture on the top of my mind all the mm-hmm. time. I love mm-hmm. to read the Bible as a story pointing to Jesus, all that. But sometimes I don't yes. have like the verse and like the the passage. And what our listeners are going to get today is just a beautiful feast of scriptures that remind us of our calling for peacemaking and politics from Dominique. It's great. It's great. It's so good. And it really does anchor us in ways I was unexpected. I I wasn't expecting. And um, it was grounding and convicting and challenging and also really helpful to get beyond the culture war. Yeah. Crap that we're all navigating. Oh my Um, gosh pushed us into the stuff into the conflict and into the pain and into the systems into the politics but it was it wasn't culture worry and so i'm excited for folks to hear that too so good all right here comes dom awesome uh, hey, welcome back to the Everyday Peacemaking Podcast, and we are thrilled to introduce uh, our friend and colleague in the work of peace, Dominique Gilliard, who, uh, Dom, we've had the honor to, to be friends for probably close to a decade now and, and be in some spaces doing this work together. Um, so I'm super grateful to have you with us. Thanks for being here. Yeah, always great to be on with you and your community. Cool. So, um, here, here's where we're going today. We There's a couple of presumptions we are making as Oshida and I have been diving into this around peace and politics. What do we mean by those? So I wanted to open up with a, a bit of language for your sake and then for all of you listening in about how we're talking about these two realities. Um, the first is peace uh, we're defining as a holistic repair of relationship. And that can happen on an internal level, interpersonal level, relationally, and also on a systemic level. Uh, so peace is seeing that broken stuff is getting fixed in all those ways. Peacemaking then is moving toward conflict with tools to heal and to transform. It's not, it's not passive. We're not talking about peacekeeping. It's not about maintaining a status quo or running away from what's painful or broken or unjust. It's moving towards it with tools to heal. 
And, and lastly, when we talk about politics, which oftentimes is associated with partisanship, and so politics gets really clunky and polarized, and we just think about it through like red-blue thinking, we're talking about politics simply as the ordering of society. Every, every society has to decide how we order ourselves, and politics is that. And as followers of Jesus, as Christians, as part of a nation state called the United States, we have to talk about it. We have to talk about how we order ourselves, uh, especially as those of us are, many of us are in dominant culture spaces and we have a responsibility to leverage our blue passports and our votes for the sake of those hurt by our systems. And so um, that, that's where we're at. And Dom, you're someone who's been living into this content and writing about this content and uh, giving witness to it in many ways, which is uh, a great gift to have you with us. And that way, I mean, you and I have spent time across our international borders, sitting in migrant shelters together and walking with leaders, faith leaders across the country who are trying to say, okay, what does this mean for our congregations? What does this mean for us personally? Um, and so just to open up, what for, for you, the past few years, politically and uh, socially have been crazy and unique and challenging. And we're just curious, how, how have you showed up amidst that in your work and in your personal life? Yeah, so for those who don't know, uh, I serve as the Director of Racial Righteousness and Reconciliation for the Evangelical Covenant Church, which is a fancy way of saying that I serve as a pastor to pastors, helping pastors make connection between scripture, discipleship, and our call to be ambassadors of reconciliation in a divided world. Uh, I do that for our congregations throughout North America, which there are about 880 congregations. And so that keeps me pretty busy uh, between uh, being on the ground with different communities and their leadership teams to writing curricula for our broader church and then cultivating kind of like what you all do with Global Immersion, these immersive discipleship experiences where we take people out of their everyday rhythms of life uh, to kind of take a sacred pilgrimage to open them up themselves up to what the spirit might be kind of poking and prodding them towards uh, in regards to bearing a faithful witness uh, in our day and time. So um, I do all that. I'd say one other place that I kind of do this work really is through um, North Park Theological Seminary and uh, their School of Restorative Arts. Uh, they offer a master's uh, program inside of a maximum security prison. And um, the program's focus is cultivating everyday peacemakers in conflict-ridden spaces. And so the entire program is predicated upon us uh, really discipling and pouring into and resourcing uh, men and women who are behind bars to serve as pastors behind bars until they're ultimately released and then they can go back into their communities uh, and function as everyday peacemakers in the midst mm -hmm. of seeing other people who like them might be at risk of going down a wrong path and they get a chance to prophetically speak in their life and say, hey, there's another way. There are other options. That's not kind of the destiny that you have to be doomed to, but you can actually prophetically choose something different and become uh, the change that you want to see in the world. And so um, I get to be involved in peacemaking uh, yeah. in all of those different ways. Um, and so redirect me with the question, but I wanted to kind of do a broader inter of who yeah. I am, kind of what I do. That's really helpful. Yeah, and, and it was really that, hearing what you do, and in the last couple of years, 
how, how have you been showing up in your personal life and work and all the complexities that we're, many of us are feeling right now, even as we listen to this? Yeah, I mean, this last couple of years have been a very unique time for the church. I mean, we're, in a, we're still in the midst, even though some people want to act as if we're not, we're still in the midst of a global pandemic. And given that, like, everything is a unique, it's a unique time for everything. But yeah. I think particularly this last five years has been a very unique time for both the church in the West and then uh, politics in our country and the yeah. church's response to the political divisions that abound. Um, and so for me, you know, when it comes to political conversation, I always say for those who are ready to hear it, that the gospel is political, but the gospel is not partisan. Yeah. And so the gospel is clearly calling us to engage in ways that are going to be deemed political in mm -hmm. this nation state, to live into Matthew 25, to feed the hungry, to provide food for, uh, I mean, to, to provide food for the hungry and shelter for those without shelter, to be engaged with our criminal justice system by visiting the prisoner and actually communing with our sisters and brothers behind bars. Those are all political actions that directly yep. flow from biblical mandates mm -hmm. to uh, care for the least of these, to uh, really provide for the quartet, quartet of the vulnerable, like the Old mm -hmm. Testament used to call them, uh, the widow, the orphan, the migrant, uh, and the poor. Those are all political acts, but they all flow explicitly from biblical commissions. Yeah. And so scripture tells us to be politically engaged in the world, but we are not supposed to be uh, abiding by partisan rhetoric or uh, mindsets as we engage in these political acts. Um, we're supposed to be bearing witness to our true citizenship, which is our kingdom citizenship, which calls us to be willing to live in a way that the world knows that we are Jesus's disciples by how we choose to live in love. And so for me, I really hang my hat on two, well, three verses when I think about kind of civic engagement for the body of Christ. I think about uh, Matthew 25. I think about Isaiah 58, which tells us that the mission of the church is to be repairers of the breach. Um, there are breaches that exist in our world because of sin, individual sin and systemic sin. Uh, sin has distorted the way the systems and structures are ordered, uh, the way that people are seen, treated and respected, and how the image of God is validated in some people over and against others. That's all antithetical to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as the hands and feet of Christ, we are commissioned to live in the world as people who are dedicated to repairing those breaches that we see in society. And then um, for me, the other one is John 13, 34 and 35, which says that the world will know that we belong to Jesus by how we choose to live in love. And I think right now there are a lot of theories that are floating around about how the world will know we belong to Jesus. Um, a lot of times that ends up uh, spiraling down into culture wars or these kind of prophetic declarations of this is what a Christian would do and this is what a Christian would not do or they wouldn't be connected to this group of people or this yeah. kind of action. But scripture is clear. 
the world will know that we belong to Jesus by how we choose to live in love. And so when we see brokenness that abounds, when we see um, injustice, when we see oppression, when we see things that threaten peace and peacemaking, how we choose to live in love in response to those things is how the scripture tells us that the world will know we belong to Jesus, not by kind of these culture wars that we oftentimes get kind of seduced into. So, yeah, I love that. So, Dominique, as a pastor to pastors and somebody who has done this work in so many different spheres and with so many different people, and you've also, like, I I, I know you have this really um, prophetic and um, yet inviting and captivating online social presence. So I know that you're watching how people are engaging with this. What are the ways that are most helpful for people uh, to engage with politics that does not, that, that prevents them or protects them or that doesn't look like aligning themselves with partisanship. So what's, what are the ways that you've seen that have been like, yes, that's how you do it. That's how you engage with mm. politics, but not be partisan. And then the kind of follow-up question is, what are the ways that don't help? You know, you already mentioned like falling into rhetoric, but what are some other ways that are not helpful? Yeah, I think it's the most helpful thing is to always remember that um, even those people that we adamantly disagree with are inherently reflective of the divine image. So all people are equitably made in the image of God, even people that we vehemently disagree with. And how we choose to respond to people who we vehemently disagree with in many ways bears witness more so to the mm. love of Christ and how we choose to commune with those who agree with us. Um, I would also say that for me, I try to be very biblical in kind of trying to, so in the covenant, one of our guiding North stars is this phrase, where is it written? And so when I'm trying to think through how I civically engage in an issue, I turn to scripture as a blueprint and a kind of lamp to my feet to try to say like, okay, if I'm trying to think through what does it mean to love my neighbor faithfully in the midst of a kind of tumultuous moment we find ourselves in, how do I see this revealed in the text? Where can I turn to biblically that gives me a model for what it looks like to try to faithfully follow Christ in light of kind of this quandary I'm in? Sorry, get some water. Um, and then I'd say, um, I also think that we need to take, we have to learn how to take history seriously in this country. Um, and I know that this is a, you know, a very interesting time to have this conversation, given how honest reckoning with history in many circles has been deemed as either a retelling of history or critical race theory or something that is not um, institutionally approved. But I think we have to be able to understand that ever since this country was founded, there have been interests and values that diametrically oppose biblical truths that we have to take seriously and contend with as we try to seek to faithfully love our neighbor. Um, so for instance, in the Declaration of Independence, it refers to our indigenous sisters and brothers as merciless Indian savages. 
that literally diametrically opposes the biblical truth that we find in Genesis 127 that says all people are equitably made in the image of God. Yeah. To be able to name that is not to subscribe to critical race theory, it's to take history seriously and line yeah. it up with the biblical witness and to say that they are incongruent. And in the midst of that incongruence, my citizenship is first and foremost found in the gospel and in the kingdom. And so I have to bear witness to what the biblical truth is in the midst of a society that seeks to deny that truth. Yeah. So I think in the midst of trying to kind of bear a faithful witness without becoming overtly partisan, I think we have to first really say, this is how I'm going to align my life with the truths of scripture and what I think it means to faithfully follow Jesus and trying to bear witness to what I see revealed to me in the text. And so I, I just would say there's a number of texts that I think that show us how to do this individually, that show us how to do this systemically, that show us how to do this in, uh, in community. And so a couple of them that I won't spend time with, but just make reference to real quick. Um, I think Acts 6, 1 through 7 is a beautiful story about when we encounter a broken system, what are the people of God supposed to do to try to respond to that system with Christ-like humility in a way that acknowledges that we don't always get it right. And in the midst of getting it right, we are called to confession, lament, and repentance, and we bear fruit, kingdom fruit in keeping with repentance in a way that declares that we know that God has commissioned us to live distinctively because of who and whose we are. Um, and then last one I'll give you systemically, I think uh, Acts 16 uh, is another one that really kind of bears witness to this, where we see that Paul and Silas get enthralled within the judicial system and they're given preferential, well, they're denied uh, equitable access uh, before the judicial system because they are uh, declared to be ethnic outsiders. Um, and in the midst of that label being the other, they are persecuted, they are denied access to a trial, they are publicly beaten, they are falsely incarcerated. And the whole time they are enduring this persecution, they actually are people of privilege with Roman citizenship, but because they were uh, misidentified intentionally as Jews, they were being uh, discriminated upon in the judiciary. And Paul and Silas endure this persecution all to make the point to ultimately bear witness to the fact that God's people cannot be okay with a system that treats some people with equity and justice and dignity and denies it for others, even, even though they were the privileged people who actually should have been on the beneficiary, should have been the beneficiaries of this, this better or the superior treatment, they endured the treatment of the other to share in the sufferings of Christ, to use the language of Romans, to ultimately shine the light on the fact that the system was inherently anti-gospel. And they ultimately then only pulled out their Roman citizenship to say that this kind of privilege of certain people being respected and dignified and other people being um, denigrated and denied uh, dignity and worth 
is not something that Christians can be complicit with. We can't Mm -hmm. even turn a blind eye to and just say it's not impacting me. When we see this as the people of God, how we choose to live and respond to it bears witness to who we belong to and where our true citizenship is found. And so Paul and Silas give us a beautiful example. And I think it's an example that we need to really heed uh, in this critical moment today. Yeah, Yeah, so what I'm hearing you say um, is that for, okay, so partisanship really relies on those surface or those sensational acts of like showing up. So like yep. the posts that you that you throw online or even some of the protesting that we do or um, <clears throat> or just leaving it at your vote. Um, but that's very surface and you can get a lot of cred for doing that. But what I'm hearing you say is that peacemaking, being peacemakers in politics requires us to put our bodies and our privilege on the line, just like Jesus placed his own body mm. on the line. So that there is a, there has to be a sacrificial relational aspect to it for us to actually, you know, for us to be a part of politics in a way that actually shows that we are in line with those who are suffering or the under, underside of it. And that actually does like sustainable long-term work. It's not just sort of falling into the rhetoric or only saying like I voted for this person or mm-hmm. those sort of things. Is that is that what I'm hearing you invite us yeah, into? Yeah, and I'll underscore that with two texts. Uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2, uh, we're to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Like we literally have to put our bodies on the line to bear witness to our kingdom citizenship uh, when we see systems and structures denying the image of God in our neighbors. Um, and then I'll also go to 1 John 3.16. So we all know John 3.16, which tells us, you know, the story of incarnation. But then scripture doubled down on that in 1 John 3.16. And it tells us that, you know, that we can't just love with words, but we have to love with action and in truth. And it talks about if we see a brother or sister in need and have no pity on them and actually don't stop to see that how the excess in our life is connected to the lack in our neighbor's life, then it says, how can the love of God be in us? And so it makes it very clear that like there has to be this personal connection where we put skin in the game and we have to understand how what we have is not just for us. Uh, we are blessed to be a blessing and the blessings that flow to us are supposed to flow through us and not just be contained within us and our biological families. Um, and so how we choose to live in love again is the thing that bears witness to the fact that we belong to Jesus. It is the tangible demonstration of our new life in Christ. And so when we live in a way that allows a political affiliation to tamper that witness, to tamper the way that we love and the way that we sacrifice and the way that we see ourselves as interconnected to other people, then that citizen, that that uh, political ideology starts to encroach on our witness in a way that actually starts to make it superior to our claim as people who have been restored, redeemed, and transformed by the love and love of God. And so that's the way in which we have to make sure that first and foremost, as kingdom citizens, we bear witness to who and whose we are through how we live in love. And I really believe that the missional purpose of the people of God is to make God's name known and love shown throughout the world.
Like that's what we're called to do. And when we live as peacemakers, then we see, I talk about cultivating compassionate eyes to see, empathetic ears to hear, and tender hearts that respond to the brokenness that abounds. And when we live in that way, it is a prophetic declaration to the fact that we belong to Jesus and people want to know what compels us to live and love in that way. And that's when we get a chance to say, it's not about us, it's about a power at work in and through us that is stronger than us, that compels us beyond our own human limitations. Yeah. And so for me, that's the, that's the holistic vision of kind of this work that I know that y'all are so committed to. And that's the way that I try to root it in a biblical foundation as a kind of lamp uh, in the midst of these kind of perilous times we find ourselves in. I think that that what's so helpful about that, Dom, is the when we're talking about reminding each other who we are and whose we are in light of scripture, in light of Jesus and, and our history and witness uh, as part of this church for the last couple thousand years, it's such a more robust and grounding starting point than just kind of jumping into the political frenzy or the partisan thing. And, and it, you're like, no, no, no. Yeah, I'm acting politically, but but it's out of my citizenship of the kingdom of God. And now the question is, what does that witness look like in a nation state? Like I, I um, a couple years ago was was protesting at a privately owned, uh, uh, privately owned detention center for immigrants. It was horrible and inhumane. And I was able to actually go in and, and witness. And a lot of the people that were in relationship by nationally were impacted by this. And so quickly the critiques come out like oh you're just you're just you're, you're you're part of the problem you're just disrupting for the sake of disruption's sake or you're just showing your partisan line and, and i think for us listening in we have to understand like dom's saying you no know, peacemaking actually needs to be disruptive sometimes it's about disrupting the status quo of some kind of pseudo peace mm -hmm. as a reflection and a witness of a kingdom beyond the kingdom of this world and so protesting might be a very Christian act in that sense. Uh, it's, it's not just aligning with uh, some partisan party. And so that kind of nuance and ballast, I think, is important as we all seek to figure out how to live and give witness in, in this polarizing time. I mean, me, turn back to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Perfect example. Mm, um, yeah. Nebuchadnezzar was calling them in the entire country to participate in idolatry. Yeah. And they said, rather than participate in idolatry, I'm going to protest and ultimately I'm going to endure whatever punishment comes with protesting because I know that I'm acting out of my kingdom citizenship. That's and, nice. you know, out of all of the prophetic passages in scripture, one of my favorite ones is when they actually have to go face to face with Nebuchadnezzar. And he says, are you really going to have the audacity to disobey me in my face? And they say, my God has the power to save, but even if he doesn't, and it's with that, even if he doesn't type faith that we have to go out into the world and yeah, bear yeah. witness to who and whose we are yeah. and be committed to the work of being repairs of the breach. Sin has created breaches in our systems, our structures, and our governance that leads us to abiding by a worldly logic that denies biblical truths. Mm. And when we see that, the spirit 
compels us to resist those kind of ways and patterns, Romans 13, uh, Romans 12 again, uh, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit compels us to resist those kind of patterns, to bear witness to who and whose we are, so that the world will know that we belong to Jesus through how we prophetically live in love. So for me, like this is all a biblically grounded ethic. Uh, This is something that is consistent in the Old and the New Testament. It is not some politically partisan hijacking of scripture. This is a consistent consistent ethic that aligns with the faithful witness of Jesus and is rooted in the ethic of sacrificial love that really is most particularly laid out for us in Philippians 2. So, yeah. Hey, um, this you can tell this dude is a biblical scholar and preacher, and it's so so helpful. Uh, we're thankful. We want to get practical here in, on a relational level now for the rest Let's of this call. So, um, now we're in the midterms. Like th- this, this episode's coming out as we're thinking about where our votes are landing, but we're also thinking about where our relationships with our family and friends are. <laughs> we're trying to discern how do we navigate that, and so, um, we, we want to ask the question, how do we engage? How do we engage politics as, a, as part of our kingdom witness in this midterm season, at the same time, be in relationship with family and friends who might think differently than us? Yeah, I think a lot of it uh, for me comes back to the table um, and us remembering how uh, the table is a place of fellowship. The table is a place of humanizing and dignifying one another. When you eat with people, uh, it is an act of dignity. It is an act of respect and commonality. And over the table, we constantly see eyes opened uh, to the truth. Uh, We see the spirit at work. And I think the table is one of the places that we've really forsaken the spirit's ability to transform and to to remove the scales from our eyes. Um, I think about this also in a strategic way. So I, I get this question a lot, honestly, from older Christians who now have come into a revelation of mm. some of the ways in which they perceive missional opportunities by abiding by the status quo earlier in their life. And I like to always say, you know, the older you are at many of our family's tables, the more power you have to actually set the pace of the conversation and, and to really kind of, for lack of a better word, dictate the terms of engagement and say like, hey, this is a conversation we're going to have at Thanksgiving. This is a conversation we're going to have on Sunday dinner after church. And I'm going to tell you about how I once used to think this way, but then I had this encounter or then the spirit transformed my vision and my understanding. And now I understand that this is not an optional add-on to the gospel, but this is actually a core component of faithfully following Jesus. And so I think we have to be willing to have those kind of conversations um, with the people who know us the best, uh, with the people who honestly is hardest to have these conversations with. And again, I'll just real quick retreat back to kind of scripture in 
one of my favorite passages about this kind of transformative power is the story of Pharaoh's daughter and the way that she ultimately prophetically acts um, in resistance to the the infanticide and the bigotry uh, and the hatred that her father was espousing all throughout um, Exodus chapter 1, 6 through 2, 10. And so it's this prophetic story about how the the spirit of God has the power to break generational cycles of bigotry. And I think when we talk about the power of the gospel today, I think some of us really doubt that the spirit really has that kind of power today, that it can't transform um, family members who honestly still have scales on their eyes, who actually need to be liberated from the blindness uh, that political ideology and different kind of worldviews might cause them to embrace. I think we do really have to remember it's through faithfully engaging in conversation, dignifying, humanizing, and engaging in a civil way that, again, that bears witness to our kingdom citizenship that we actually can start to plant seeds of transformation. It might not happen after one or two conversations. It might not happen this year, but I believe we have to be we have to believe that God is faithful and that God will show up if we are willing to do our part. And I think how we choose to civically engage and humanize one another is a big testament to again our our new life in Christ. So let me ask you this as a as a denominational leader, a pastor yep. of pastors, how do you feel about because I, I love I love the invitation to conversation. I love that. I'm also a little nervous when I hear the invitation to conversation, when I think of like a pastor wanting to bring all the people who voted red into the same room with all the people who voted blue (laughs) and have like an all church diet. Like, how do you how how do you feel about that? Do you have any cautions around that? Like what 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 does conversation look like or fostering conversation look like for those of us who might be leaders or who might be people of influence within our like our friend group and want to bring people together, like help us do as well. Yeah. So that those, those last words were most explicitly for family. Um, When we're talking about um, a congregation or a community, I think um, as leaders, we have to realize that we are called to disciple people into faithfulness. Um, And I think right now the temptation because the temptation really is to acquiesce to the disobedience of our congregants or our members. Um, and we we end up squelching the spirit when we do that. Um, I We have to be clear about what we believe. And when we are clear about what we believe, then we get an opportunity to cultivate spaces in which we can help lead people into a greater understanding of the truth. And so for me, I think rather than these caucuses where we try to find the third way or to try to exist above the fray, I think we need to be clear about what it is that we're commissioned to. And then in those places and spaces, we center content that's going to help lead our people somewhere. So, for example, um, if you're somebody who understands that... uh, racism is a sin that has distorted our laws in this country historically. Um, If you're trying to have a conversation with folks who some believe that and others don't, 
it would be a beautiful thing to do a movie night and watch a film like Just Mercy and then have a discussion after the film and talk about what did you see? What did you learn? Uh, do you question the validity of this? And then if folks do, you can turn them back to original source information to show that this is actually a historic case that has actual <laughs> uh, proven uh, judicial validity. Um, I think, you know, for me, even more than Just Mercy, I actually wrote a discussion guide for that film. So I'll put that in the show notes for if folks ever wanted Great. to do that. But also, um, like a, a documentary like True Justice that shows the broader arc of Brian Stevenson's history and experience with the judicial system. Like you, you call people, you gather them into a space not to enact your will upon people, but to expose them to a broader historic biblical theological truth to say that as a community, we're trying to learn to become more Christ-like. And becoming more Christ-like means that we have to be mature enough to move from milk to solid food. And as we move from milk to solid food, it means that we have to be mature enough to sit with the pretty and the ugly parts of our history to become the community that the Spirit is trying to uh, foster in our midst. And if we're just going to be people who are stuck on partisanisms and say that we can't talk to people who are on the other side of the aisle or people who don't agree with us in any way, shape, or form, we're never going to become the beloved community. We're never going to mature in our faith. We're just going to exist as what we already are. And if that's the case, then there's no need for us to gather. We mm -hmm. gather to become more than what we are. We're gathered to become more like, more Christ-like in our love and our witness. And so you have to be intentional as a leader of knowing where you're trying to lead your people. Yeah. You can't lead people where you yourself have never gone. Mm -hmm. And so the first work is how are you doing your work? Who's holding you accountable to your work? And who are the peers who are gonna walk alongside you and challenge you as you try to grow? And then as you kind of feel solid in that growth and that conviction that the spirit is fostering in you, then you strategically start to chart a path forward to lead your community into a more faithful witness. Well, uh, this is this is why I'm reminded, Dom, um, I'm always energized when we're together <laughs> and when we're, uh, you know, I think back to the first time we were together was in Palestine, actually, and uh, and thinking through like overt injustice and occupation and oppression, and then thinking of it through the lens of the protagonists in our scriptures, which are those uh, on the underside of power, and seeing it face to face, getting close in the proximity, um, and then thinking of it, how how do we so how do we get close to the injustice on a systemic level, and how do we get close to those on a relational level, we think different and see the image of God in everyone is um, it's not an absence of conviction or passivity. It's, it's courageous. And I think it's quite countercultural right now too. And so uh, thanks for reminding that we, uh, we want to just say one last thing. I, I yeah. say it's invitational as you come across resources that have fed you and that have grown you and your faith and your convictions invite people to engage those resources with you. I think oftentimes we just pass them on and say, hey, you should read this or you should watch this, but say, hey, can we watch this together? 
can we read and process this together? And when people see that you, you really believe in a resource enough to go back to it and to engage in it again, then that that amplifies their likeliness to be able to say, yeah, I'm going to take some time to do that. Mm -hmm. um, and so everything is invitation, like try to be invitational in yeah. what you're calling people to, because it's another marker of love to say like, I want to walk with you as you go through this. I don't want to just point you to it. I want to walk with you and process with you as we do this work together. Dominic, what I appreciate about you and your online presence is you are somebody that is constantly pointing us to resources and inviting us. You're, you're doing that work. You're modeling it for us. So where can we find you online to learn more from you, to find more resources and continue growing in this practice of peacemaking in politics? Yeah, that is a great question that I'm never prepared for on the spot. <laughs> but I am pulling something up. So give me one second. Sorry. Uh, and as you're as you're pulling but, that up, think but, of the last question, which is the question of in the midst of all this in a couple sentences or paragraphs, what's giving you hope? So tell us yeah, where to find you and what's giving you hope right now is to close us out. Yeah, so you can find me uh, on Facebook at Dominique Du Bois Gilliard. Um, that's my author page. On Instagram, I'm Dominique D, as in Du Bois Gilliard. And then on Twitter, I'm DD Gilliard. And then you can also find me on my personal website at dominiquegilliard.com or subversivewitness.com. We can put all that in the show notes as well. And what is giving me hope right now? Um, I would say a couple of things are giving me hope. Uh, I think we're seeing some changes in society that I honestly didn't know that we would see in our lifetime. I mean, I think about the student loan forgiveness, which is the big brouhaha right now. Um, that is a honest reckoning with us trying to take seriously um, debt accumulation and how that is rooted again in something that's antithetical to a biblical witness around what it looks like for us to um, not enact usury and all of these other forms of debt peonage ultimately that foster up. Uh, I think about some of the institutions that are trying to do an honest reckoning with questions of reparations and what it looks like for us to take seriously the fact that so much of the gross inequities in our society are rooted in a history of oppression and systemic sin. Um, and what does it mean for us to take seriously John the Baptist's call to produce fruit in keeping with repentance, to, to try to live and be different after we have come into a revelation of the truth. Um, and then I would also say that I think that um, I think we are one of the gifts of the digital age is I think some of the folks who are doing really good, faithful work right now are having a platform to bear witness to that and share that in ways that historically haven't always been true. So I am in love, in love, in love with a new podcast uh, that is out right now called The Sum of Us. 
that comes from uh, Heather McGee. Um, she wrote a great book called The Some of Us, but this podcast intentionally is going around the country highlighting unlikely stories of solidarity where people uh -huh. that you would expect to come together are coming together to work for the common good and to breed wow. transformation in the world. And they're all modern day stories all across the country. And it's just such a beautiful podcast. And so, um, a, someone like her might not have historically had access so to a platform to share those stories with everybody and to foster hope and a new imagination of what it means to to be peacemakers. So. Mm. Well, my friend, thanks for the gift of your wisdom and your time and your continual work and witness in this way. Grateful to be in it together. Always a joy to be with you, John and Oshita, and I love the work that Global Immersion is doing and always honored to be able to come in and chime in my two cents and try to build together. Hello, Everyday Peacemaking Podcast listeners. There's two things with Global Immersion we wanted to let you know about. First, this podcast would not be happening if it wasn't for our Embers community. This is a collective of folks from all across the country and the world who give money every single month to help fund our everyday peacemaking resources like our monthly periodical called The Monthly Peace, our daily contemplative, contemplative prayers, webinars, and this podcast. So uh, if you'd like to join this community of funders for five bucks a month or 500 bucks a month, we would be thrilled. You can follow the link in the show notes or go to our website, globalimmerse.org, to jump in on that. Second, we're about to open up applications for our 2023 leadership cohorts. Uh, these cohorts are designed for faith leaders who want to go on a journey of discovery in the intimate company of peers and trusted guides. We want to do the slow, hard work that leads to healing and renewed vision for who you are and I am and how we will collectively lead restoratively in the church of the future. These cohorts include in-person retreats, online learning, coaching, and immersive experiences. One. Uh, the Journey of Hope cohort culminates in a trip to Northern Ireland to learn from uh, other peacemakers in that global context. And the other uh, journey home culminates with a pilgrimage on the Camino de Santiago where we seek to confront the conflict within ourselves that inhibit our ability to lead towards equity and justice and peace. So space is very limited. Jump on it and you can get more information and apply in the show notes or go to globalimmerse.org leaders. Well, um, Oshida, I'm I'm sure like you, but I know for me, I felt really challenged, uh, inspired and challenged by that conversation with Dom because oh my gosh, I almost he was, go ahead. Well, I was I was I almost felt like, and this is in the very best way. I almost felt like you know how when you had Bible drills when we were younger, <laughs> and it was yeah. like we call them sword drills. Yeah, sword drills. Like oh, this yeah. scripture, this scripture. Like I. I felt like that, like that energy and that like, yeah. okay, wait, I need to write this down. Okay, no, I want to remember that. Like, yes. Oh, yep, yeah, that's right. I read that once. Like, I mean, all of the things that he said, I have heard and read before, but mm -hmm. it was just energizing to be reminded of how deeply rooted in scripture this yep. call to peacemaking is. Yep. Yeah, and I think that was what the challenging part is um, his 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 work and his message is so anchored in our biblical tradition right that it just 
woke me up a bit to ways that I can get swept away in the culture wars. Yeah. As much as I try to like say, okay, kingdom citizenship is number one. This is not a partisan thing. That's not the same as politics. Right. It's just, it's really hard. It's intoxicating and it's so, it, it, we're so enculturated into a left, right, blue, red binary. Yeah. That Dom helped me just think beyond that in ways I think that I haven't for a while. And, and to see that civic engagement is for him, I, he asked the question, where is it written? Uh, yeah. And so like every, every principle or practice he's offering us, he's telling us a Bible story about it. And that was just, it was really enlivening. Yeah. I mean, yeah, because this thing can feel like a new thing. I mean, even if honestly, let's think about the civil rights movement. That was what, mm-hmm. 50, 60 years ago, you know, like. Mm-hmm. So this can feel like, oh, this is a new thing. No, it's not. Like justice no. and caring for caring for the widow and the and the migrant and the poor and the oh, what was the, what was the fourth one? Do you have that written down? Uh, orphan, widow, orphan. migrant, and poor. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that 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 was God's idea, and that's been God's yeah. idea for for so long. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think that that can be for those of us who have family members that are like, oh, this is just trendy, or this is just, you know, this is the culture, and we're resisting the ways of the world. Like, no, 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 no. Like, God has been doing this work as long as injustice Mm. has been in the mix, so. Yeah, that's that's it. And I think it's, um, it's a gift to be able to think beyond the binaries and also to be deeply rooted in our convictions. Mm -hmm. And he pushed us on that. Everything from, like you heard him say, uh, go protest when it's it's necessary and see the image of God with those around your table. And really, he even pushed us beyond some of levels of comfort maybe for those of us are like, we don't want to associate with those people anymore. And he's like, if we aren't leading the way and modeling this biblical move towards peacemaking, then then we don't we shouldn't be leading others that yeah. way so it was yeah yeah no i mean what i got from him and what i what i feel like was the subtext of what he was teaching us in this call was to be deeply aware of our heart and the spirit's movement in our yeah. lives so what what kind of heart are we bringing into this work um and what is the spirit inviting us to do and in, in uh and kind of just pay attention to that. And um, I don't know, I just, for me, I felt like that gave me some clarity because it can get overwhelming to be like, what do I do? Where do I turn? What's going on? But like, one, check my heart. Am I doing this out of devotion Mm -hmm. to God? A God who made me in in, in God's image and wants me to proclaim that others are made in God's, okay, first check my heart. But then also like, listen to what the, like pay attention to what the spirit is inviting me into like I'm reading something so invite others in my life to read that yeah. with me um, yeah. I have people who disagree with something let's host a movie night so that we can mm-hmm. all talk about it together like there's just um, I don't know there's just an accessibility in the way that he invited us into that yeah. that was really helpful right. yeah yeah, and, and to say I think towards the end he's like it's not just about critiquing it's about an invitation and you know an invitational posture is saying that there's a better way so let's go do that together yeah which which i think um the couple last thoughts for me you know i hear a conversation like that with dom and it makes me still want to be a christian mm. <laughs> and i think a lot of us uh who have been so hurt and jaded honestly by the 
different expressions of evangelicalism we inherited are like, this is, we don't believe in this. Like there's the constructs that we inherited are broken and disruptive and even harmful, especially to those on the margins. Yep. And I hear that, I'm like, oh, that's why I'm a Christian. So those of us maybe that are in deconstruction or beyond deconstruction and saying, what's left? I think Dom reminded us, like, this is what it means to be a Christian. And to me, that's the invitation that's compelling and worth our lives. Yep. And really practically, I think something that really popped for me, too, he said that where change is going to happen is the older generation who's had these kind of aha moments, creating space around the table and leverage their generational influence to say, hey, to the other parents in the room, other grandparents in the room, we need to think differently about this. And that became very personal to me because my Uh folks have gone on that journey and they have been incredible at paving a way. But I've even had the conversation with them like, folks, I need you guys to leverage your generational equity in our family and be the ones who talk about hard things because it's not just on us, on on my generation. And I thought the fact that he said that was a, a beautiful picture of what could be. Yeah, yeah, there's a there's a lot to process still. Um, I'm just so grateful for his work and what and how he's leading us in the world. Yeah. Um, Do you have a practice in mind for us this week? Yeah. So I was thinking a lot about how Dominique started his conversation with the reminder that we are all made in God's image. And it reminded me of something that I did um, in 2014, 2015, when I realized <clears throat> that Donald Trump was running for president. And it was like, a, not a joke, it was an actual thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started looking at pictures of him as a as many as I could find online as like a young man or a little boy, or if I could find pictures with him and his father or him and his family. Um, I started doing that as a practice of humanizing him because I was honestly concerned about what his administration would look like. Mm. Um, And that became a practice that I picked up across the board when there was a political leader who I deeply disagreed with, but Mm. felt felt myself dehumanizing them and slipping into that partisan practice. So my um, invitation for the listeners this week is to think of that politician or that um, that leader who you who you really don't like whose politics or influence has really deeply offended you and i and i want you to be able to sit in god's presence and acknowledge that that's an offense um and god and allow god's love to surround that offense but then don't sit don't allow yourself to slip into bitterness find a picture that reminds you of that person's humanity and offer that person, offer a prayer for that person to God, that that mm-hmm. person experiences God's love, that person remembers that they're, they're human, remembers their humanity, and ask God to protect you from slipping into that bitterness that fuels the partisanship that prevents us from really being peacemakers. So spend some mm-hmm. time looking at images of leaders you disagree with in their most human and vulnerable places to remind yourself that they are made in God's image as well. that is good thanks for pointing us that direction and I'm I'll be curious to hear even as we do that practice ourselves what comes up um yeah I imagine I'll be doing lots of confessing (laughs) (laughs) it is something I do every day literally last night literally last night it's uh yeah it's something that but it keeps me tender and it keeps my mind focused on why I engage with politics. It's mm-hmm. how we it's how we live in society with each other and I can't 
be fully human and vulnerable um, if I'm not willing to imagine that other people are human and vulnerable. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? You know, yep. I don't want to live in a society yep. full of bitter and angry people. Totally. So, yeah. The gift of tenderness. The gift it. of tenderness. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for listening in, everybody. Uh, we encourage you to go to the show notes and download the PDF, which are free PDF uh, with a series of practices that we've built uh, out of this season. Um, and we want to offer this closing blessing as you go. May we, as a community of everyday peacemakers, follow the path that gives witness to the kingdom of God that transcends all our borders and boundaries. Go in peace.